0: Hey, everybody, I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. I'm Mari Forth. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. We'd love it if you would subscribe to our feed. Please go
1: to slash crime feed. You'll get your true crime on Tuesdays as well as helping
0: us keep this program going. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mari, we have a true crime news flash today.
1: Yes, uh, there is big news. About the Delphi murders on February 13, 2017, best friends, Abby Williams, uh, age 13, and Libby German, age 14, were hiking on a trail in rural Delphi, Indiana when they were murdered. It was the middle of the day and the case shocked the town and captured national attention. To date, the police have received more than 70,000 tips. And just last week, it was announced that local man Richard Allen was taken into custody and charged with the girls' murders. He has entered a plea of not guilty and the police uh, still ask anyone with information to submit a tip. Our hearts truly go out to the families of Abby and Libby, but it is a a good day that they uh, finally think that they have a, a... suspect in custody
0: yes that's, yeah it's such a good day even though there's no such thing as closure it is huge uh news amari if listeners are unfamiliar with the case do you have any properties you can recommend they can they can watch
1: um yes there was a really good people people magazine investigates episode on the delphi murders it's um uh, season five episode four the delphi killers so uh, that, was, that will give you an overview of the case. Um, Sarah,
0: what did we watch this week? Well, let's open today's file. We watched Vatican Girl, The Disappearance of Emanuela Orlandi. It's a four-part docu-series on Netflix. It was written and directed by Mark Lewis. Uh, he also wrote and directed Don't Fuck With Cats and a string of other work. Mm. And to discuss it, we have an interesting guest, crime novelist, host of Strange Arrivals podcast and a panelist on Crime Writers On, as well as the host of Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. Yes, it's Toby Ball. Toby, welcome to the scene.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. So am I the last crime writer to come on?
0: Uh, You are the third of four.
2: Third? Okay.
0: Mm mm-hmm oh, okay see so not the last and, and we're, getting, we're getting
2: there you'll you'll soon yeah. have a full full collection
0: we want to collect the set <laughs> yes and who's counting nobody's counting <laughs> <laughs> uh, toby before we discuss vatican girl what is your true crime origin story how did you get into it did the true crime lead to the novels the city trilogy or did the novels lead to the true crime
2: uh well the novels led to the, the true crime in that um when serial came out, and it was probably is nine or ten episodes into serial, Kevin Flynn and Rebecca Lavoy, uh, who started Crime Writers on, uh, wanted to get a panel of of four writers, and so they contacted me. I didn't know them to see if I wanted to record a couple of episodes of doing commentary on serial about storytelling and uh, things like that, and that that was really my entry into the into the genre like I I was not a big true crime reader uh, or anything like that but through uh, starting to work with the crime writers on crew and how that just kind of continued on and on and on and now it seems like that's like almost the only thing I consume anymore is true crime between podcasts television shows I've got a, a book club podcast so most of my reading is true crime books So yeah, it was. It went from not being a big interest to suddenly sort of being all-consuming in my life.
0: Yes, (laughs) that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, And do you have a particular genre that you favor? Uh,
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I guess when I when I look back on things that that are sort of my favorite, I think it's more about who's who's doing the writing or, or the reporting rather than like a specific. Like I'm not like a big serial killer person, for instance like i I usually kind of dread it when we're gonna cover serial killer stuff, and it often turns out to be fine, but I think there is like a whole genre of sort of lurid serial killer stuff that I don't really have the stomach for. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I look for people who are very good journalists or investigators and and good writers, and then what they what they kind of turn out. And so in the podcast realm, which is where I feel like, like we're most concentrated, like there's a, there's a number of just really, really strong investigators and writers and sort of vocal, um, you know, hosts that I think are just so reliable and so compelling in the, in their output that that's sort of what I look for more than just what the topic might be.
1: Mm. So it's, it's really the storytelling aspect for you.
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Because uh-huh. you can get, you know, I mean, there's certainly been very, very interesting crimes that when badly, you know, covered,
1: uh-huh. you
2: know, what what do you have? And then there's some <laughs> things that seem, you know, they're just sort of slice of life. There's nothing in particular about a, a case that would make it stand out to you if you just saw it in a big list. But then in the hands of the right person, they they can really turn it into something you know, revealing and, and engrossing and thoughtful. And I guess that that's kind of where I find uh, sort of the most uh, satisfaction and sort of get the most enthusiasm for those kinds of, those kinds of things, whether it's a podcast or a, or a documentary series.
0: Yeah. I mean, we like being surprised by good filmmaking uh, and our property from last week, which, um, as we said on the podcast, both Mari and I were very anti-covering. Once we saw it and saw how well it was done, uh, how sort of tenderly it was done, how victim-centric it was, we said, oh, well, now we have to review it. So it was Mm -hmm. the the, uh, storytelling itself which compelled us to talk about it rather than uh, following a particular case. Yeah, exactly.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Speaking of cases... I'm going to run down the crime everybody
1: Uh,
0: hold on to your hats Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's a little complex but follow follow us through so Uh Emanuela Orlandi was 15 years old when she failed to return to her home in Vatican City after a music lesson in July 1983 her case has been called Italy's most famous unsolved mystery. So if you like your mystery solved, this is not the one for you. Uh-huh. The mystery remains unsolved. Paul Mari, she likes a, <laughs> she likes a, a full stop at the end. <laughs> I'm struggling. Um, <laughs> um, Emanuela remains the Vatican's only missing citizen. In the 39 years since her disappearance, there have been sightings, intercepted phone calls, clues, anonymous tips, false confessions regarding her kidnapping, Documents said to have been stolen during the Vatileaks break-in, uh, which seemed to hold the answers, but trailed away. A tomb in the churchyard inside the Vatican was opened in 2019 and found to contain nothing. Initially, phone calls from the purported kidnappers demanded the release of Mehmet Ali Ağca, the Turkish citizen who shot Pope John Paul II in 1981. The criminal organisation Banda Della Manliana may have been involved. The Mafia may have been involved. Roberto Calvi, also known as God's Banker, mired in scandal and murdered in London, may have been involved. Or Emanuela may have been the unwilling recipient of sexual advances from a priest. Whatever the truth, all theories and all roads lead to the Vatican. Just to get us started, Toby, what was your prior knowledge of this crime before you watched the documentary?
2: I I had no prior knowledge of this crime. (laughs) Uh, What was interesting is that watching it sort of reminded me of all these things that kind of happened when I was in middle and high school, like Mehmet Ali Ajka. I hadn't thought about him in a long time, but that was sort of my first, I I think my first contact with the idea of of, uh, sort of radical Islam. Uh, the gray wolves, like they would show that on the, on the news and it just seemed mm. very exotic and, mm. and, and strange. And it was just, you know, it was just hadn't been a part of my understanding before that. And I guess this is pretty soon after the Iranian hostage situation. too. Oh, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's like
2: that, that, suddenly it, it felt like that part of the world was becoming a little more important or, or at least the, the media was paying more attention to it. So that that that's really, once I was watching it, those were my associations with that time of the, of the things that happened in this documentary.
0: Mm. Uh, Mary, how about you? Was this on your radar at all? Yes, it was one of the reasons why I agreed to watch it because I had
1: watched a, um, I don't know if it was like a 2020, like a Dateline. I, I remember watching like a one-shot episode about this case and being very fascinated with it. And... Of course I tried for my recommendations uh, to find the you know the episode that I saw but it, Google is just flooded with Vatican girl Vatican girl Vatican girl so I could not find the specific episode of the specific show that I watched but I remember I watched it maybe it was like um maybe like uh around 2017 2018 if I remember correctly and It was about a girl who vanished from the Vatican and it was the way that that one had told the story about um, it was more focused just on the disappearance itself and then very heavily focused on then the um, calls made after like and that was basically it. So um, it was it kind of concentrated on everything that was in like those first two episodes of, of this property. Um, So I was very eager to see what they were going to do with this, with the Vatican girl, with more time um, having passed, with more information being possibly revealed, but (laughs) slight spoiler alert, I guess, uh, I... Did not think this was as successful as what I had originally watched, and it's really kicking me that I cannot find what it what it was that I watched.
0: <laughs> well, once you do, we'll we'll put it on the show notes, or we'll recommend it in a in a future uh, episode. Yes. I was completely unfamiliar with the case, but for me, because um, I'm slightly older than both of you, uh, I remember the Pope kissing the ground in Poland. I remember him being shot, which is why. They are now in the perspex pope mobile rather than just in an open car. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember Vatileaks, which is later, of course, the stealing of documents from the Vatican. So a lot of the world events that were touched on in the documentary were very familiar to me because Mm -hmm. you know uh, I am only just slightly older than Emanuela would be uh, if she's still alive, which seems you know unlikely uh, because. One of the popes said to her brother, she's in heaven. Uh, And when he said, oh, we hope that she's still alive, that that pope repeated, Emanuela is in heaven. So I think somebody knows something. Uh, Yeah, so it was very much my adolescence and and 20s and and 30s that these world events covered. But as far as Emanuela herself, I did not know uh, anything about her. Toby, do you want to just talk about the documentary in general and the documentary things that it employs? There were a few
2: things about about this documentary that I was trying to kind of get a hold on Uh some of the decisions they made. And some of it seems to kind of come down to things that just happen in documentaries. And I don't know if it's just sort of reflexive. But fairly early on, you know, after Emanuela uh, disappears, there's I don't know how long it is, three, four, five minutes, of them doing a search for her in Rome. And mm. you know they're not gonna find her. And mm. nothing really comes out of it, but they still feel like they need to have that time. And you I think they have a camera that's on like a moped that's zipping yeah. through the city <laughs> at night mm-hmm. and uh you know, somebody's talking about it a little bit. And again, it's it's sort of like why why are you doing that? Like what mm-hmm. what is that? How, what does that add to the story? Really, like mm-hmm. I would assume that you'd go looking for her, and maybe you could like say we went out and looked for her, we couldn't find her, which is what ends up happening. But then they try and create suspense with like music and like fast cutting, and they have this weird sort of audio thing where they like goes and then it stops <laughs> yeah. and then something else comes on. Like that's sort of one of the things that they do. I, you know, there's another thing they do that a lot of these documentaries do is if somebody's making a phone call, like you have to watch a guy put like a, di- a quarter into a payphone and <laughs> dial it. And then what they do is they have a phone ring in an empty room for whoever it is. So like the first time, I think it's in the bedroom of her parents, or her parents' bedrooms, mm-hmm. and it's empty and the phone's just ringing. And then they then go on to talk about, well, this is what the guy said. And my, you know, sort of understanding what they were doing, but at the same time, it's like well, there was nobody there to answer the phone. Like what? It, it just right. a recreation, a recreation. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I go on a uh, uh, crime writers on about how I, I sort of get frustrated with recreations unless they're being very very specific about yeah. what they're showing. Like because I think to uh, like thin blue line, uh, right. which is sort of the the earliest, and and he did this these recreations that shed so much light on the story uh-huh. and that we're so critical to understanding and that now there's so many times when it's just like, like slightly out of focus people walking around an office <laughs> <Yeah. or laughs> in an empty room or something like that. It's like, well, you just couldn't think of anything else to put. So you're, you're this is sort of your default. So there's a certain amount of stuff like that, that, you know, I, I guess it's just part of the genre, but I do wonder, like when you're sitting down and thinking about, I'm going to put this thing together Somebody like, yeah, we'll just have these phones in these empty rooms and they'll ring and it'll be awesome. And then we'll move on to the next <laughs> thing. Um, so
1: that, yeah. We're famously like anti reenactment over here. Like, we're, we are exactly like you said. Like, if there's no point in it, then why are we doing this? Are we doing this to pad out the runtime? Like, and I agree with Toby 100%. This docuseries had so many recreations reenactments that did not really help the story like progress at all um and and even kind of even worse we saw the same recreations over and over and over again like the like the verbatim they just cut and oh we here plug it here plug it here Mm
0: -mm. yes they did use that uh radio giving the weather on the day she disappeared, which on one hand I liked because I thought, ah, you're locating us back because there were so many theories and so many stories and it was as if each time there was another clue or another confession or another document. All right, let's go back to the day she disappeared and see how that affected things. So I liked it in that way of locating us in time, but then I don't think they then followed through with if that was the case Therefore, these are the things that would have been different from that moment of the radio giving the temperature. One thing I did like about the recreations because everybody, it's in Italian and English. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can watch it subs or dubs, as you know. No, no dub shaming here, and I think the dubbing was done quite well. I watched it the first time through with the subtitles, and so I found that the recreations gave me a rest from reading the subtitles and sort of to catch my breath. And I I did like going through the streets of Rome. I did like the use of Google Earth to, like, look at things. But taken all in all, I think there were too many reenactments and recreations, and to me they didn't. Add or illuminate at all, Toby. You talk about Thin Blue Line. I immediately I can mm. see in my mind those reenactments, and yeah. every time we went back, it had a different. Even if it was the same piece of footage, it had a different flavor because of what we what we knew, and it was very thrilling. And perhaps people have taken the the reenactment as oh, therefore that, that it's good without thinking about how they how they're using it. Murray, did you do subs or dubs on this one because the, it is four one hour episodes.
1: Yeah, four one-hour episodes. I did dubs, but like I did dubs, but those I always do dubs and subtitles. Like I try, I always do them both. I I think right here, I, I normally do them both because no matter what I what I'm doing, I always have subtitles on because it's some, it's easier for me to read it sometimes. And then I like to have the option of just not, you know, <laughs> it's like close my eyes and listen. But I was a little frustrated with the, the the dubbing, not the actual dubbing itself. And again, we don't take this in consideration when we do our ratings for the documentary, but like the subtitles would go out even when I had it on like English dubbing with English subtitles. The subtitles were not always subtitled. It would only subtitle the the dubbing of the Italian. So when it was, when people were speaking in English, they were not subtitling them. And I don't like that because, you know what I'm saying? Like they dubbed the parts. I mean, they subtitled the parts that were dubbed, but there are parts in the documentary where people are speaking English, which is fine. And the English wasn't like totally broken or anything that I couldn't understand it. But I still like subtitles through and through. So I don't know if that was different for you, Sarah, when you watched it purely uh, subtitled with its original audio. Were you getting subtitles through everything?
0: yeah that's curious because yes i was getting the the Mm. english was was subtitled what about you toby how did you go
2: uh i i went with the subtitles but i did not get subtitles during the english really Really? yeah yeah Yeah, i just got it for the italian
1: yes see Yes, okay. So I wasn't alone with that. It just it was just it was just an interesting choice for me because I'm just like i I like subtitles on, like I said, everything. So that yes. was that was kind of hard, um in a sense of just being used to not having the option to then look down and also read the subtitles as well.
0: Yeah. So. well, that's something to note. Um, I, but I think listeners, you won't struggle either way if you right. listen to the dubbing. I had to listen to about half an episode dubbed and I thought it was quite it was fine. Uh, we've certainly heard worse. And uh, <laughs> if you just want to watch the subtitles, that that also is um very clear. I want to move now to the main talking heads, uh, mainly the siblings. We have Pietro, her her brother, and Natalina, Maria Cristina, and Federica, who were her sisters. What I thought was very effective here is I really felt the ongoing effect of not just the disappearance of the sister, but the continual uh, media coverage and the continual popping up of clues and confessions and documents. So Toby, how did this family strike you?
2: Yeah, I think Pietro in, in particular, sort of the pressure that was on him, to play a role, a public role in what was going on. And I'm thinking particularly when he was on that television show, having like, I guess, an interview or sort Mm -hmm. of a confrontation or whatever it was with this guy who claimed to be the American. Like, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. years and years after it occurred, but it it just seems like a strange, strange place to put a sibling. I don't know what he Mm -hmm. does for a living. If maybe he's, somebody who's used to doing it, whether he's a lawyer or, or a media person or whatever. Um, and I thought he was good at it, but it just seemed, it seemed difficult. And then, you know, with him and with the sisters, you know, this talk about how they, their their hopes get up and then they get dashed and and they do talk in the documentary about how they get all these things coming in. And then every once in a while, there'd be something that seemed... You know, more promising, like such such as the flute that they find, mm-hmm. and so again, it's like these these ups and downs and ups and downs, which I I think for these higher profile cases where people know about them and are going to be more engaged with, you know, mm-hmm. trying to pull something over rather than a case that's obscure, which which people don't really know about. So yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I thought that was. It was poignant, I guess, is seeing the effect that it
1: had on them. You know, through the course of, of, of years, I would say Pietro was the was the main thing that the one thing about this documentary that I really liked, I thought he talked so eloquently about his sister. You could tell he was anguished by the fact that um that day that she uh, disappeared she had asked him to take her to to school or to her music lesson and he told her he couldn't but he really he, he admits like i was just being lazy and he says he thinks about that every day you know and it, could that have changed the course of something Um, So you really feel like Sarah says, you feel the families like burn and you feel their pain because this is a disappearance, you know, Uh, out of all I, you know, we all (laughs) consume true crime and we know that like disappearances can be even harder for some parents because you just never know what happens. You don't get any, you know, we we say there's no closure, but you still have you have even less knowledge of what happened to your child than usually what you do when you know they are at least victims of crimes before you find out who the perpetrator is. So I you I just felt the weight of her disappearance on her family. I think that was a a good a good place to center us as the viewers. But I don't think they did it enough personally. I think Pietro was was great in talking to the cameras. I think his, his confrontation of uh, what was it? Marco Echetti was actually one of the things like I I think uh, episode one and two, I was kind of like, oh, you know, like, OK, we're moving along here. But it, his confrontation with Marco is what made me really sit up. And really, like, oh, okay, all right, I'm, I'm in here. I'm sucked into this, and it, it got me way more sucked into like, okay, does what does Marco know? So, uh, like, you know, big high praise to to Pietro, Pietro and and um, how he did in this. Yes,
0: yeah, so that close up of him on the television confrontation with Marco Accetti, who said that he was the architect of the kidnapping, forensic audio people. Uh, feel that he did make some phone calls but not the original phone calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a past where perhaps he kidnapped another girl, perhaps he killed another girl. He's a very strange yeah. man. We have him with us today with a bandana over his face. Uh, mm-hmm. But the the face of Pietro as he looks at this man and realises that he is not the kidnapper and doesn't have information. And the betrayal and the rage uh, is is quite extraordinary. And as uh-huh. a family, to allow that, to allow the cameras in, to allow themselves to be so vulnerable, all the sisters, and we only get a brief moment with Maria, who's Emanuela's mother. She doesn't appear until the fourth episode and she tells us El Mondo Bruto, An Ugly World. Uh, but she has her Catholic faith, and she knows that she will be reunited with Emmanuella, uh, which makes my blood run cold. But there you are. I'm a, I'm an atheist, as listeners know, and wow. I find that the cruelty of the church cannot be overstated. And I think this idea of all roads leading back to the Vatican, which we can talk a little bit about, um, the Vatican state, I sort of knew it kind of. And I think one thing that the documentary does really well is give us the sort of political overview of it as a city-state unto itself Mm -hmm. with its own courts and its own police and very few lay citizens of which the Orlandi family is one. They've been they've served seven popes over a hundred years, and the entirety of every building is owned by the Vatican. So they are given their house. If it was a priest that bothered, as they said, bothered yeah. Emanuela or approached her sexually, who would they tell? Because yeah. her father and her family's li- livelihood is is tied up, and. They film inside the apartment. So presumably they still have the apartment. And one wonders if Pietro is now in the family business or whether his feeling of betrayal by uh, the Vatican would make it difficult for him to work for them. Toby, the Vatican, the Popes, the Catholic church. Um, How good are they?
2: They're awesome. Um, Now, well, so just starting from the very first thing that happens in this documentary I, I don't know if you, you this like stood out for you, but uh, there's a quote that says this episode is so serious that it's the biggest scandal of the modern church. Huh. And I'm like, yeah, no. I don't think it's <laughs> the, the biggest scandal of the modern church. Like, no. I don't think by a long shot. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've always been really interested in the Catholic church. I, I'm an atheist as well. Looking at it it's kind of like an organization that's been around for, you know, 2000 years and, <laughs> you know, has had a lot of power for most of that time. I mean, it's probably at its lowest ebb right now, but it's still like when the Pope speaks, there's, you know, millions and millions of people all over the world uh-huh. who will respond to that. And, and and what that means, since, you know, he's uh-huh. actually sort of appointed by a small handful of people uh, when the previous pope dies, or I guess in the most recent case, uh, kind of steps aside. Yeah, I mean, I, I the the recent history is is not great with uh, pedophilia, and then and then covering it up, uh-huh. and then even when Benedict came in and seemed conciliatory, I think I think he stopped well well short of what a lot of people would have wanted him to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as acknowledging the church's role and covering these things up, um, and even enabling uh pedophilia. And I think just even as recently as uh Connie Walker's uh latest podcast, if you listen to that one about uh St. Michael's? The oh. uh the no, boarding she's
0: school. missing and murdered, which right. we mentioned in last week's and so she has a new mm-hmm. one. Well,
2: she's she she went to Gimlet, I think, and so her new series is called Stolen um and there was there was the first season and the second season is about her family uh and and you know other other uh indigenous children who went to a uh a a catholic school catholic boarding school oh. for indigenous oh, kids and what happened there and it's oh, it's wow. it's very very powerful uh mm. and you know just as distressing and sort of this confluence of you know the worst aspects of Catholic pedophilia, along with the worst aspects of the way Indigenous people were treated. Um, it's it's really it's it's very powerful. It just came up for it was just nominated for an award this morning, which is why it's so close to the top of my head. But um, that's definitely worth checking out for people.
1: We'll put Mark. it in our show notes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I mean, I agree. Like we say, all roads lead to the to Vatican, I mean, in the l- largest term um, of that, this this series kind of just layers uh, theory upon theory, conspiracy theory upon conspiracy theory. I don't think we're going to get into them. Like, honestly, you can you know, you can watch the property if you want to. But it truly is kind of just because this is a cold case and we don't know what happened to manuela like it really is just okay maybe it was this happened maybe this happened maybe this happened maybe this happened it was just so it just was piled on conspiracy theories that just kind of go nowhere so if the vatican has uh uh, like a distinct hand in it or not it is still their fault because it is their citizen who has who has gone missing and they have apparently not helped to try and locate her at all in the bare minimalist of you know of them not doing anything to the grandest of it was what a, a sex scandal by a priest or maybe uh, the secret service or there are so many thrown out theories there my biggest thing is no matter what they are still at fault um it, it, you know either macro in a macro sense or like hands-on
0: yes I mean, what it, what interested me, and and I feel like whether this was involved with the Manuelas uh, disappearance or not, but I was very interested in uh, Roberto Calvi, who, as we say, God's banker. I hadn't realized quite the intricacies of money coming to him. He was an Italian private banker. Money coming to him from organized crime. Uh, him sending it to the Vatican to wash it, and then it comes back. Uh, one of the theories is that she was taken because the Vatican didn't give back uh, some money that was owed to some criminals. No, 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 no. Um, and I thought even if that's not involved with Emanuela, I think that uh, financial scandal, uh, bringing back that financial scandal, was very apposite. The sheer wealth of the church, the amount of money that is moved around, the mm-hmm. people inside the Vatican who specialise in the finances of the church. it. We see this monolith of of power and money operating only inside itself. In other words, it polices itself in mm-hmm. the same way that we think about um, you know police investigations being done by police or uh, uh, organizations investigating themselves is never a, a good idea. So I was I took that away too, that idea of <laughs> of monoliths of of power and wealth and how it's very hard to know what the truth actually is because they hold that truth and it's up to them whether they let it out or not. So before I ask what we liked about it, I did want to just discuss Mm. one other topic that came up for me, which was the conflicting, two conflicting ideas which also come up in, in mysteries for us and in history. And one is that time is a friend to those with secrets that eventually time will just wash over things and you will never know the answer. And the conflicting idea is that things always come to light, that in the end everything is known. Marie, what do you think about those two ideas and which side do you uh, rest on?
1: I mean, in cases of cold uh, cold crimes, like it's really um... – hard not to go with the first one you know the further away we get from the crime being committed the harder it is to actually try and solve it you know that's why we have the first 48 nomenclature of of it all so like when it comes to specific crimes especially one like that this where it's been what 37 years 38 years at this point I think um maybe more than that but like It's really hard. It's really hard, especially when you're when you have such a a the the smallest sovereign city, city state like the Vatican is the smallest sovereign city state that they're covering it up or, you know, or at least not monitoring themselves. Like you said, Sarah, it only makes me think that it I don't know if we'll ever get answers for Emanuela. And that's really sad so that's what i'm going to go here with with just this this particular property
0: toby what about you yeah i think it's interesting
2: i i kind of feel like with with an organization like the catholic church
1: Mm -hmm. like i think
2: time time makes it less likely that it's going to happen and i i kind of think about um uh reinhold niebuhr who's a you know, I, I think he's Catholic, uh, but uh, basically a religious philosopher. He wrote a book called uh, "Moral Man and Immoral Society," and he was trying to sort of, I think, reconcile sort of the idea of man as being intrinsically good with you know the horrors of World War II. Um, and and so what he basically said is that that people are good, but when they form into into organizations, like the 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 organizational imperative takes over rather than trying to do the right thing, like you try to protect the organization. And it feels like the Vatican is sort of like the biggest example of that. It's like, they're supposed to be like a moral force and they're in all these things. But when it comes right down to it, they're much more sort of as an organization worried about protecting themselves than exposing wrongdoing within their ranks. So I, I don't think you have the things that over time sometimes help when it's just like criminals where there's like jailhouse snitches or, you know, people who they know will come out and talk about it, you know, over the course of time that they, they don't feel as endangered by speaking out or whatever. I think in these kinds of situations, like that information's going to the grave with anybody who knows about it and it's just never going to get out. Yeah.
0: Yes, I think there is that thing of individuals, there's an interesting documentary I saw some years ago, uh, talking to German soldiers who were at uh, Stalingrad, and I was thinking, why are they talking now? These men had never spoken, mm. and they cried as they spoke. And I thought, well, it's because, you know, there's someone knocking on the door, Uh, they are about to uh, die and go wherever they think they're going to go. And so I think you're right, Toby. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. An individual secret that a person might hold, they may feel towards the end of their life the burden of it and want to be unburdened of it. But an organization who, part of their entire principle is protecting the reputation, is less likely to allow that to come out. Although, as we. You know, as we saw in our in our uh, news flash, you know, finally there has been um, an arrest in the Delphi murder case, which was uh, uh, five years ago. But maybe at thirty nine years, and with so many conflicting theories, uh, this will always be uh, a mystery. We've talked about what we didn't think was was uh, successful, Toby. What was successful for you in this documentary?
2: Uh, I thought it did a very good job of sort of giving you a sense of the of the time and place. A lot of it's just the footage they have, but when they uh-huh. do and albeit it's sort of in in the context of a red herring, I think, but giving you a sense of what was going on, you know, the the assassination attempt against the Pope, Mehmed Ali Ajka, Uh-huh. I, I, I just had a I had a feeling that I had a good sense of what Rome was like in 1983 and i i felt that 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 was strong i would have liked a little when i was watching it just because it's something i've done a little research on a little more contextualization about sort of the kind of violence that had been happening in rome mm. over the over the sort of 10 years uh like mid mid 70s to mid 80s because that was the time when like the the red brigade was active and you know, there, there was political violence uh, that had been occurring. So this all kind of happens with that as a context. So I thought that was good. And again, I, I mean, uh, uh, Mary talked about how Pietro is, I thought a very strong presence. They, they have a lot of, a lot of good interviews with people. Uh, mm-hmm. They've got a journalist whose name is somehow purgatory, which I, yes. cannot, I can wonderful. Uh um, Wonderful. Yes.
0: This is Andrea Purgatori. I mean, brilliant. Uh, He's an Italian journalist who's with us throughout, and he really anchors us in time and place and information. I think you're right.
2: That was kind of the best part of it. And it's, you know, it's told in a fairly logical, straightforward way. It's not, Uh you don't kind of get lost, although it's just like, all right, this doesn't seem like it's going to pan out. Like how long until we find out that this was a dead end?
1: Right. Yeah. I completely agree with Toby. I, um, things that I liked. <laughs> Come on, Mari. You can do it. Like I said, I, I, again, Pietro. Great. I, 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 I liked, I liked him. Like I liked some of the conspiracy threads. You know what I'm saying? Like I liked some of them. I thought some of them were compelling. I thought all the other ones of them weren't fleshed out completely so again uh marco and and chetty them going down the like is like let's do the voice comparison is he the american okay he's not the american oh but wait he might be the second american and then kind of going down the thread that sarah pointed out earlier oh he might have been involved in another girl's like uh, murder or or being taken and then him adamantly they had him here and he was adamantly like no i don't know that girl i was like hmm <laughs> like maybe you do know that girl if you're so willing to confess about this one you know um i i think that like parts like of that were fleshed out well i thought the the vatty leaks i thought we were going to get more there yes yeah, Yes. well yeah so i'm uh, again i'm trying to like positive i thought we we're gonna get more there i liked what we got which is why i wanted more i thought them talking about the five page expenditure about maybe the maybe the catholic church had been paying and had known where um Emanuela was for at least 14 years of her life i was like oh my gosh i i feel like they should have ended with that conspiracy theory um it, i said i wasn't going to go into this but it, i always do that but in the body leaks there's like this five page just a list of expenditure and a list of expenditures to the citizen emmanuela orlandi and from 1983 until 1997 it's all these lists of expenditures saying like oh she may have been in school in london like th- i was like more of this go line by line this is what i want to f- know about and they really didn't go into it they think that maybe her body was transported back in 97 and that's what they think that why it ended and i was like oh my gosh that sounds like very plausible also where these documents come from and then it was just kind of like like one or two talking heads was like ah i don't really believe that maybe those documents aren't really real so let's go on to the next one which is covering up the a sex scandal with a a, a a bishop and I'm like oh okay so we're back here again <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> so yeah so there, there were just some parts that I was like oh th- this got me up like my ears perked up I was very interested but then just the whole you know up and down of it all of like oh maybe this theory maybe this theory maybe this theory just didn't pan out in certain ways and in and, and certain ways it did
0: I think one of the things for me, I mean, the Leaks, um Leaks is, is a sort of fascinating idea that you go in with keys and then you blow torch a safe, one <laughs> safe out of five, and then you take some documents. I mean, the thing is, this five page cover document was a photocopy that was po- that was posted anonymously. I think it was hard for the documentarians to give it more weight when. There is a question mark over its authenticity. But I I thought we were getting somewhere and then we opened the tombs and then there was not only not Immanuela in the tomb, but not the two young German princesses that are supposed to be in the tomb. I loved Angela Gallop. She made me sit up. (laughs) This was in the section about Roberta Calvi, who, if, if listeners don't know, was eventually found hanging under Blackfriars' bridge in a in a very staged suicide. Uh, Angela's yeah. one of Mari's girls. She was a forensic scientist. She had a very clear section where she went on the boat and she they recreated how could you have walked along the scaffolding and what would have happened to you, and they had a mm-hmm. model of it. And I thought, this is great. But in the end, it was quite a large section of the episode that was going to end up with, but maybe it wasn't that. So I think... <laughs> moment it's almost moment by moment the documentary was good, but then taken yes. as a whole. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I think one thing I will say is I don't think it's a binge. It's mm. four fifty something minute, for one hour episodes, and you're either uh, you know if your Italians good and your English is good great but otherwise you're listening to a dub or you're reading a subtitle and i found i needed to watch one and walk away i don't think it's one of those that you click over to the next Mm, episode
1: i can agree with that
0: Uh um even though they give us a little cliffhanger at the end of of every of every episode there is one update to the crime so as we said when they opened the tombs they found nothing literally nothing, uh, a room underneath the tomb with nothing in it. But mm. since then, uh, thousands of human bones belonging to a dozen bodies were found after the, the July 2019 opening of the tombs in the underground osseries in the Teutonic College, which is where the, the tombs were. Murray, don't get excited. It's not an answer yet. <laughs> so forensic investigators are analysing the remains and are expected to use carbon-14 dating methods to obtain a rough rough estimate of their age. So it may well be that Emanuela is among those bodies, but also it's an ossuary. It could be anybody from any period of time. So don't get excited, but we will wait with interest to hear what the results of that uh, very painstaking forensic investigation is going to be. So, Toby, last thoughts and your ratings. How many magnifying glasses are you going to give Vatican Girl out of a possible five?
2: Um so I I guess as far as thoughts go so this thing seems like sort of one thing after another after another it's like and then this uh-huh. happened and then this happened and then this happened and it's all leading to dead ends essentially right you know and yeah. some are like more dead than others but there there's no conclusion so when i think about it it's like what is interesting about this case Right, and I think there are, there are interesting things, but was there a way that you could have played to the stuff that's interesting, you in know, and not just, you know, there's this thing, and we'll spend thirty minutes on this thing that ends up being nothing. We'll spend thirty minutes on this thing that ends up being nothing. Like, what? Where, where are we supposed to get out of that? Right. So, that being said, you know, it's competently put together. I thought. <laughs> um the case is like I don't know. I, I kind of thought the case yeah. was more interesting than as we've had this discussion, I'm realizing that it actually was. Uh, you know, because <laughs> essentially it seems like it's a case with a fairly mundane, I mean it's no less tragic for being mundane, right. but a pretty simple explanation. And really what they've made this whole thing out of is these wild conspiracy theories, largely because it involves the the Catholic Church and the Vatican. Right. And that of all these different kinds of conspiracies just because she lived in Vatican City. So anyway, all that being said, I think it's right around the like, you know, the three range, but I would put it a little bit under maybe. So like a two seven five, I guess would be what I would give it.
0: There's our first .75, Toby Paul. Thank you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite know how you get uh, three quarters of a magnifying glass, but uh, maybe we we take a yeah, little I'll, bit of the glass I'll, out. <laughs>
2: I'll put you on the, put you on the task. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> uh, Mari, how about you? Final thoughts and ratings for Vatican Girl?
1: Yeah. I, I, I don't know if there's much more to be said about oh, what we've already said. It was It played as a very straightforward documentary, just talking heads, Talking directly to the camera, lots of reenactments and re- recreations, some that worked for me, some that completely didn't. I felt like it was almost like very monotonous, like it needed changes in how it presented the information like when we were getting uh like old school news footage and stuff like that I I remember at one point they tried reflecting the news on like a tv like but it didn't just kind of like it didn't work for me I wish they could have maybe broken out of the regular documentary format Matt for just like a second or two and I don't know. Am I asking for razzle dazzle and a true crime document docuseries? That's unfortunate, but I just felt like it was very monotoned, just very, just even killed. If anything, Um, if you are not a fan of, of the, the basically step by numbers documentary, you might not like this. Uh, They did have some stuff that worked with some of the theories, But honestly, like Toby said, were the theories just put there to make this case more exciting than it truly actually is? And to make it just, you know, um, just take away from the fact that this little girl, you know, went missing from her family and her family had no no closure about that. And that is truly the heart, like the hardest thing to me to actually sit and sit with and think about. And I don't know if that was front and center of this documentary well i know it wasn't that i i don't think that emmanuel's actual life possible death but certain disappearance was the main focus of this documentary and because of that you know we don't we don't like when the victims are are, play the background and i feel like she played the background in this so i'm gonna give it a two i (laughs) i It was hard to get through, like Sarah said, like if if it's built for a binge model, like a Netflix binge model, but I don't feel like binging it to me, that's not successful. And I completely agreed with Sarah. I found myself like zoning in and out at some points, trying to catch back up, rewinding sometimes just a little bit. But like it just did not constantly hold my interest. It was very peaks and valleys very, very peaks and valleys. So I, yeah, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a two.
0: Yeah. I think I liked it uh, more than both of you. I'm giving it a three. And to Mm -hmm. me, a three is a very decent mark to be getting. Uh, I feel that if I wasn't reviewing it and watching it uh, and taking notes with a reviewer's eye, I think I would have liked it more. Mm -hmm. I think that tonally it was very interesting, that sort of what you would call monotonous, I found sort of hypnotic uh, Mm -hmm. in a a good way. I liked, for a change, I actually liked some of the reenactments. I liked driving through Rome. I liked... The use of Google Earth. I thought that was used very well. And the maps, they do do the thing where they Google. And I Google like them doing the it. I, said, <laughs> I know how to Google. I know how to put <laughs> things into it. A... But that aside, I liked the, you know, as we say, green flag, the family was involved. Uh, mm-hmm. So I did like spending time with her brother and her sisters. I think not even what they said, but just their presence was incredibly compelling Uh, so I would say three and I would say I recommend it but I definitely don't recommend binging it Uh, I recommend just thoughtfully watching one and thinking about it If anything that we've said has taken your interest, our listener Tiffany sent us a message saying thanks for the Vatican girl suggestion. It was super interesting to me. Look Mm -hmm. forward to hearing you guys discussing it. So I think there's a wide range of responses and I think Tiffany and I are on the higher side and perhaps Murray, you are on the lower side with Toby in between. I I wonder if I
1: hadn't known about the case, if I would have enjoyed it a little bit better because like i said i had i had previously even though i don't remember <laughs> what the name of the episode or anything i watched it on i distinctly remember watching it and it eliciting a feeling from me and me coming away from it very interested in the case and and wanting to know more about the case originally so coming into this it 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 didn't spark the same kind of interest in me Even when it was like basically jogging my memory about the case, I I almost felt a little bit more confused by this particular rendition than um, what I had uh, remembered from what I had previously watched. And I think it was mainly probably because of all the timeline jumping around. They start with like they're on covering this tomb, you know, they they start with what you think might be a, a conclusion, like, oh, they're gonna go into this tomb and see what's in there. And then they, you know, they go through the whole one, two, three episodes, then we go back to episode four about the tomb, and then you find out it was nothing. So I yeah, I think I think maybe it's better if if you have no prior knowledge, maybe because I mean, yeah, both of y'all you, were higher than me.
2: Did you there was one of the strangest scenes I think I've ever seen in one of these documentaries? And it's the one where they have that tape that's supposedly her like being uh, tortured. Oh yeah. Crazy. Oh, yeah. I forgot about
1: that. I like, and they set it up it so that memory.
2: he's got, so they've got uh Pietro. There's like a, uh, a tape recorder and he's going to listen to it on headphones. And then his sister is sitting there watching. And I thought it was going to be like grizzly man. Have you seen grizzly man where, uh, oh. Yes. Werner Herzog right. like puts he's like I don't and want to play says, this over the thing so you can watch this. me yes. reacting to it yeah and I thought that's what they were going to do but instead they play the <laughs> they play the the sound and it's mm-hmm. just very and it, it's very strange and they say I was like I don't think this is really it somebody, sounded so much like a, a porno I, a, I thought cha- this is this is and at porno. one point she goes yes she says oh yes and I was like so first of all she's Italian so I would assume she wouldn't be like in the middle of being tortured like switch to english for my convenience watching this documentary <laughs> and it just doesn't you know i i yeah i'm very weird. suspicious about people sounding or acting the way i expect them to in certain situations i feel like there's a lot of bad stuff that's happened because people react in different ways and if it's not the way people are expecting them to react they they become suspicious but I was like, I don't know what this sounds like. And then when they said, well, they they thought it was a, a, a soundtrack from a porno porno movie. I was like, yeah, that's that seems about right. Like <laughs> it was, that, that was, was so weird. that was so odd.
0: And uh, yeah. it was sort of a blip, and we moved on, which is why I sort of completely. Yeah,
1: blocked it out, completely blocked it out. I mean,
0: we have uh, Lindy Chamberlain, whose young daughter, Azaria, was taken by a dingo. Everybody, the dingo did do it. Uh Uh, She was convicted because she didn't behave as people thought a grieving mother uh, should behave. We've got to stop um, expecting people to behave, you know, a certain way. That's what
2: uh, Cameron Todd Willingham was put to death in Texas after his family died in an accidental fire. Because he wasn't acting during the Mm -hmm. fire the way people were expecting him to. And they said, oh, he must have set the fire, throw in some bad arson investigators, and Mm. and he was executed. Yeah. And he was clearly innocent when competent arson investigators took a look at it. They're like, oh, it's a space heater. We see this (sighs) all the time.
0: Dang. Mm. oh so right. on
2: that happy note on that happy <laughs>
0: note uh toby do you have any recommendations uh for our listeners
2: sure has anybody recommended bone valley yet
0: uh yes uh, i have
2: oh you have okay would, so, would
0: you like to speak to it briefly because i think it's worth uh it's worth recommending again
2: oh yeah uh bone valley it's uh i don't know if they're all out yet i actually had to stop uh, listening for a little bit because I was going to be doing a book club podcast about a book that had very similar details. And I was starting to get confused about which was which. Mm-hmm. So I had to wait until I was done with the book club podcast, but it's basically, it's about a, um, uh, a false conviction in Florida. And it's just, it's just very, the first four episodes are are really well told, uh, very compassionate storytelling, very good reporting the end of episode four it takes this turn and then it just becomes i think like a whole nother level of of interesting i I thought the fifth episode is just so fascinating it's one of the best episodes of a true crime podcast i've heard um and i guess i've got i'm up through six i think there might be eight or nine Um, i think now yeah so i just people in the true crime podcasting world are all a buzz about this you know all, all, all the other people uh uh creators who i know who i, I consider to be the top people in the field are all a buzz and just it just really uh enjoying it and uh and um really kind of respectful of the work that got put into it so yeah i highly recommend that
0: yeah, it's great. Nice. So, uh, chapter eight it has dropped. I've seen through. I've listened through seven. Uh, chapter eight's dropped, and it looks like chapter nine is waiting there once it comes off the subscription. What I liked about it particularly is is the people who are narrating the podcast are the people who did the investigations, and I think the inclusion of his, who started to be a research assistant, the young woman who uh, does this with him, was. Just such a a serendipitous uh, partnership, um, particularly in an early episode where they have looked at the crime scene photographs and Mm. not much is said, and then we have her in the car. As a young woman, this is not her usual job. She just came on as a research assistant. And as a young woman, having seen the violence that is enacted on The bodies of women and girls, she sits in the car and she cries with him as she struggles to process what she's seen. And that could have been gratuitous and it might sound to you, listeners, as oh, what a piece of showmanship, but it is not that at all. And I think that if you can take that tone through the entire uh, series, that it is truthful and authentic and the astonishment that we still have about bad faith actors in the, in the um, law enforcement field uh, it is it exposes them as well. Awesome. Uh, anything else to recommend Toby?
2: Um, I guess on the other end of the spectrum is a, a show called bad sisters, which is sort of a dark uh, comedy, very dark comedy <laughs> uh, about a absolutely. Over the top toxic husband, and uh, his he's got four sisters in law, and their uh, it's not giving away very much. Their attempts to kill him uh, for various <laughs> reasons. Uh, it's wonderfully acted. Sharon Horgan, I think it's probably the big name who's in it, but I recognize at least most of the people who's in it. Kleis, Kleis Bang, who's a Danish actor. It's just absolutely a scene chewer as the, uh, as the husband. So that uh, we just reviewed that on crime motors on last night and uh, we all loved it. So that's a, it's a little bit, I mean, it's dark, but it's a comedy and you know, it's, it's fiction. So it's a slightly different.
1: Oh, always good. Yeah. That sounds like
0: right up my alley. Uh, yeah. Murray, what about you? Do you have a recommendation today?
1: Um, yes, I just want to remind our listeners. We did uh, review the Indian Predator, Predator series. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, Sarah will have a link in the show notes our actual the actual series that we did with uh, Sasha Joseph a couple episodes ago. I just want to remind everybody that they've been releasing more of the more um, docu series in that same overarching series so there's been two more there's been Indian Predator Diary of a Serial Killer and then Indian Predator Murder in the Courtroom i am currently uh finishing up uh Indian Predator mor- uh, Murder in the Courtroom and ugh, great watch like everything we said about the first Indian predator predator series of uh, the butcher of of delhi i think was the first yes, one that's right. yeah the the all of the iterations since have been so Good, still that the storytelling is still amazing. The dubbing is still great, <laughs> like subs or dubs. Um, and the case that the murder in the courtroom um, is based on is really so fascinating. It's about um, basically a a man was on trial. He was brought to court to be on trial, and about forty to fifty people barged into the courtroom with. Uh, knives and stones and rocks and beat and stabbed him to death the 40 to 50 people were women and they were all women from his locality and that's how it starts and then it unfolds like you know why did they do this why did this mob justice justice happen was it just the mob it it was uh very good very good with the storytelling so I just want to if our if our listeners enjoyed Indian Indian Predator, the Butcher of Delhi, check out the rest of the Indian Predator series on
0: Netflix. Oh, wonderful! Thanks, Murray. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to Never Seen Again, which is a series on Paramount Plus. Uh, I'm going to recommend in particular the two episode story arc of Tamara Keepness, which is season three episodes three and four. Uh, Tamara is a White Bear First Nations girl. Who disappeared from her family home in Regina? Is that how you say it? Yep, Runs with Regina. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, Saskatchewan in July of 2004, when she was five years old. And this episode, these episodes, trace the aftermath and the effects on the family. Again, another green flag. The family members appear in the documentary, and they've entrusted their story to the filmmaker. Uh, this is the 18th anniversary of her disappearance. It is a tough sit, but it is uh, tender and moving, and I think it's very important. Mm. At Crime Scene, we're eager to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can follow Crime Scene on Twitter at crime scene, rhap that's scene, S-E-E-N. Email us at crime scene, RHAP at gmail.com. You can go on the TikTok
1: Yay. and find us
0: there, <laughs> Crime.Scene, S-E-E-N. And on Instagram, crime scene podcast. All of those will be in the show notes. Toby, what do you have going on, and where can people find you?
2: Uh, on so on Twitter, I'm at Toby Ball and H. Twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays, uh, I'm on Crime Writers On, uh, which is you know does similar stuff to what you do. It's reviews, uh, true crime podcasts, shows, uh, documentaries. And um, I also have a a podcast called Strange Arrivals, which is sort of a skeptical look at UFOs, takes a look at sort of sociological and scientific issues that are sort of brought up by the belief in UFOs. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've got a couple of projects that are coming out in a few months, but. I can't, I can't talk about them yet. <laughs>
1: oh, we love a secret oh, project. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I will plug stranger rivals too. It's, it's, uh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, Mari, what about you?
1: Of course, you can find me on Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much. That's two like the number two every week. Me and Matt Scott bring you the highlights of the week in wrestling. Uh, by going to uh, you can go to the wrestling rehap up uh, by going to rob has slash wrestling feed, subscribe to the wrestling rehap up. You can also find us on YouTube, our video podcast, by going to the Rob has a podcast uh, YouTube page and searching wrestling rehap up. That's wrestling r-h a p u um, p. of course, we are finishing up uh, the Atlanta recap podcast me Latanya Starks Chappelle we are back in Atlanta with earning the gang for the fourth and final season of Atlanta so go check us out on postshowrecaps.com slash Atlanta to hear our takes on this last really good uh, season of a show that we are desperately going to miss and if you haven't already listened to it we gave our final like season one review and our season two predictions on the house of the dragon book club podcast so you can also find that on postshowrecaps.com go to the house of the dragon feed and um it was a great time the whole council convened um myself uh dm philly Uh, Josh, Taryn and Grace, we all talked about what we thought about season one of House of the Dragon. And then we did a like a prediction draft of what we think will be in season two whenever we get that. (laughs) So definitely go check that out. That was a lot of fun. What about you, Sarah?
0: Well, you can follow me on Twitter. While you still can, while while there's still a Twitter, (laughs) while we're still there, uh, at Sarah Carradine. Uh, So next week I'll be dropping a special episode on the Reality TV wrap Ups feed. It'll be an overview of The Traitors Australia, Mm, the first season there. Uh, Season's coming up, of course, in the UK and the US uh, to come. Uh, My special guest will be Australian ninja warrior, Sean Bryan. Two rangers on a podcast, what could possibly go wrong? He says our genes are recessive, our takes are excessive. So let's see what <laughs> happens. We haven't recorded it yet, but I imagine it'll be, it'll be wild. Uh, Mari, what do we have coming up for next week?
1: Next time on Crime Scene, we are covering two properties. We're looking at the case of the nurse, uh, Charlie Cullen, and the brave healthcare workers who blew the whistle on him. So we're reviewing both the docudrama, The Good Nurse, which is currently trending on Netflix, and the documentary Capturing the Killer Nurse um, with our wonderful guest, Lindsay Wilson. Capturing the Killer Nurse uh, comes out on the 11th of november so we wanted to do them both so you can find both of those on netflix please send us your comments and questions
0: thanks to toby ball for joining us will from america for the theme music tricky rice for the graphics and chelsea lesser and scott st pierre behind the scenes until next time case Case closed. closed